Hey everyone, welcome to Founders Fireside Chat, the show where we meet the next generation of startups and the founders behind them. Today we meet Joe DeWolf, the co-founder of Cadenza. Cadenza is a live stream studio in the cloud that makes sharing what matters easy and beautiful. They first set off to disrupt the music industry and quickly realize that their impact would be far greater. We have a good one today and I hope you enjoy. Hey Joe, appreciate you coming on the show. Just for a little brief background uh, for yourself, you know, I wanted to start this show uh, to meet with founders and, and hear their stories and their experiences and really serve as a resource uh, for other founders as they're going through a similar journey. So again, appreciate you coming on here. Uh, can we just start with a little brief background on yourself as well as Cadenza? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it's cool what you're doing. Um, I, I was, you know, obviously I'm doing this now, but if I were in your spot, uh, that's a, that's like, that's a cool route to take. And I think a lot of interesting founders and entrepreneurs to talk to. And I think you'll, you'll probably find overlap in their stories, but, uh, still it's each, each is each, uh, has their own like personal journey. So you'll find that they're each like, of course, very different, but there's some similarities. Um, how many of these have you done? Just curious. This is the third recording. I've released one uh, earlier this cool. week. Cool. Well, mm-hmm. congrats, man. Um, Thanks. So I, uh, background on myself, um, born and raised in Arizona, went to school at the University of Michigan, where I uh, was then admitted into the Ross School of Business there, which is the business school at Michigan. Uh, got my BBA. And with an emphasis in uh, sales and entrepreneurship. So they had a little bit of an entrepreneurship program that I was a part of. Um, I decided that the standard um, consulting or investment banking route, which was pretty typical at the business school, wasn't for me. I was doing a handful of interviews for some of those larger corporations, um, you know, the Goldman Sachs's, the like Deloitte's, um, and it just wasn't a great fit. Um, I then went and talked to a mentor within the entrepreneurship program, and they gave me a pretty good piece of advice, which was why not go into sales, software sales? And I think that lays a really solid foundation for entrepreneurship because no matter what you're doing, uh, whether you have a software or a product that you're you're offering customers, you have to sell it, um, and you have to know how to sell it, be confident in selling it. I think another thing too that's interesting in sales, you mostly receive no's, so you do a lot of cold calling, um, set up a lot of meetings, and over time you you develop a thick skin for um, receiving a no. And not taking it personally and moving on to the next opportunity, which uh, any entrepreneurship will tell you that in raising money or in selling your product, you're going to have pushback. Um, It's guaranteed. It's part of the deal. So I went and sold software uh, in San Francisco for about four or five years. Um, it It was a company called Bright Edge. We sold enterprise SEO technology. Enterprise just meaning larger packages to corporations. Um, and got incredible experience there, developed a network, 
And that leads to the start of uh, the idea for Cadenza. Um, so I have a, a, a great friend of mine, my best friend from Michigan, Stephen Debrinkit, who is a co-founder of Cadenza. We were having discussions often, often meaning like once every month or something, just catching up on life and about ideas um, we had, we both knew that we wanted to start a business actually in college. We were a part of starting one. It was called guide you. Uh, it was a quick way to find tutors online, book them online, uh, pay them online, schedule them online, um, in a lot easier way than just like ripping a number off of a, off of like a bulletin board for a tutor, which seems incredibly archaic. So we were part of, uh, um, a group of a, a few guys working on that idea, which was pretty successful. So we, we knew that we both had a passion for entrepreneurship and building stuff. So um, he was in Chicago. I was in San Francisco. We talked and he, uh, one call that I'll never forget. Um, we basically talked about music. Music was something that brought us together. We were really passionate about it. And we talked about how that industry had not been disrupted for quite some time, really since Spotify came in and disrupted the whole, uh, you know, the whole model uh, by applying streaming to it, more of like a subscription model. Um, but nothing had really changed since then. And that had been years, years, years prior. And so I, we kind of both went off our separate ways and went, um, you know, did some thinking and found some interesting trends in the market. One specifically was Amazon acquiring a company called Twitch for a billion dollars, which is, is now super well known. At the time, everyone was like, what is Twitch? <laughs> what is this company and where'd they come from? Um, and the more research we did, the more fasc fascinating we became. And it's like, wait, this company allows video gamers to live stream themselves. Um, and people are watching by the thousands. And Amazon saw that as so valuable that they bought them out for, uh, you know, bought them outright for a billion dollars. Something's there. We found that really interesting because then we thought about, wait, what, what, what other industries could live stream impact? Music, right? So then we're like, okay, how are artists live streaming today? Why aren't artists live streaming and selling tickets? Like we started to ask these questions and the more we dug, we're like, wait, wait, wait. That's like, that's when the idea was planted. Like, wait, you could have a John Mayer, you know, in his studio ripping solos with his band doing so spontaneously and just sell tickets, kind of pull back the curtain so that fans could join, fans could interact and, and, and to bring it to fans in a way that was high quality. We're not talking about Instagram live. We're talking about something that has multiple cameras, studio quality audio, like a direct out from the mixer. And we looked around that did not exist. No one was doing that. Um, you could not like the concept of, a uh, pay-per-view live stream was novel. It didn't really exist. And, and um, the only thing that we could kind of uh, apply that model to was like pay-per-view boxing uh, where people all pay an upfront fee to get access to something that is exclusive uh, through, you know, certain distribution channels. Um, and obviously pay-per-view, uh, pay-per-view boxing, they were, you know, 
they're making hundreds of millions of dollars in, 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 in you know, for a single event. So we're like, there's gotta be something, there's gotta be something there. Um, so um, from there, the rest is history. I think one of the things for us, it was like, once that idea was planted, I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't, I could not get it out of my head that, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, there's, there's no way that in the future, there isn't going to be a way for artists to live stream through pay-per-view. Uh, there's just no way. So that's where we thought of, uh, that's where we thought of the idea. Um, then we looped in our third co-founder, Jason, uh, to build a prototype. And he is our CTO. He is our uh, full stack front end, back end engineer, incredibly talented. And he was a, a buddy of mine in San Francisco that I had met through mutual friends. I initially went to him and I said, hey, I have a group of engineers that I'm thinking about in, uh, interviewing for an idea that we have to build out a live stream platform, basically a ticketed paywall uh, for like a live stream portal. Do you know of any engineers? And, and I have these three, can you interview them? And in, in interviewing the engineers and then thinking about it, he came forward and he's like, nah, no, nah, no, nah, we need to go to dinner. And then at dinner, he was like, nah, I want to be this engineer. I, I want to be your CTO which rarely happens. It's very difficult to get a CTO. It's probably one of the biggest challenges for software uh, startups. Finding a solid CTO uh, that, that has leadership abilities as well. Um, and then, yeah, a few months later, we quit our jobs and we went all in. That's awesome. I think that background is super helpful. And there's a lot of pieces that we could probably peel back there. You know, you had this idea that was driving you crazy. What was that switch that, you know, made you guys quit your jobs and write, uh, you know, finally tackle it and make it a real thing. So in my head, uh, a couple things I needed, I needed to, uh, talk to people in LA in the music industry and get some kind of positive feedback, um, share, share something with them or just get an understanding on would artists use this? Would managers find value in this? Would labels find value in this? So connected to a couple friends of mine who are in the industry, uh, the feedback was very overwhelmingly positive. So um, that was key. The other thing was um, we needed to build, build out an MVP. I needed to, before feeling comfortable going all in on this, know that our team together um, could develop an MVP, uh, some kind of a product we could touch, feel, and that could be used without ever having experience live streaming before. Um, those two things... We checked them off and then, you know, ultimately um, <laughs> sales jobs, you have to hit your quota every month. Um, and I was working on this at my sales job. I would rent out or uh, kind of book one of the conference rooms and act like I was taking calls when in reality I was working on cadenza. And after about three months, my manager pulled me into a room and he was like, Joe, you're not hitting your quota. We're going to have to, we're going to have to put you on a plan. And like mid sentence, I was like, no, sh 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 sh. I was like, I quit. <laughs> and, and he was like, uh, what? And I was like, yeah, I quit. And it was shocking coming out of my mouth. There was no plan behind it. It just, it just happened, man. And, uh, the good thing is they were so incredible. Uh, they knew that they knew that, uh, the only, they like, it wasn't a surprise to them that I was working on something, I think, because I'd made it clear to them that that was a passion of mine. Like I, I was in San Francisco to, to either be a part of a, a early stage startup or start one. Um, so when I left, 
it wasn't leaving for a competitor of bright edge. It was leaving. Cause I was, you know, pursuing a dream. They were all really happy for me. And they said, look, you can come back and work at any time. Um, there was no bad blood. Luckily you guys had a pretty uh, supportive, um, you know, employer that was, you know, able to maintain that relationship. So when you were first starting, you mentioned, you know, the MVP, you know, that you really needed that to, to feel confident getting this off the ground. But once you had actually launched it, what did you feel was the most important piece of the business to get right first? I'm assuming it was that technology piece. Yeah. So um, be careful using the word launch because you can have several and nothing really launches, right? Uh, and I think um, I would not advise any startup in in uh, organizing a public and like official and structured launch. Um, I think it's more advisable or wise to have something be more in a private uh, beta, if you will, with who your your target customer would be, uh, rigorously. Uh, like pressure testing your prototypes, your MVPs, giving you critical feedback on how to, you know, how to improve. You need to go through that process prior to any sort of public launch. So all of 2019, we, uh, you know, I was in San Francisco when I quit my job, three months went by, I think March, what is that? March, 2019 was i can't remember the actual the exact date i think i moved maybe june june i think was when in 2019 i moved to la um the purpose of moving to la was to work close and personal with artists so through our connections we found up and coming artists um and did live streams bought uh bought our own equipment um did some networking to figure out who knew production and uh, really learn the ropes without having any previous experience. So um, brought on kind of a director of photography. You need some kind of a technical director. And then you can mix and match all different types of hardware and softwares to deliver live streams uh, that impact the quality. You need certain upload, download speed for connection. Um, and there's different cellular modems or, you know, Ethernet, direct Ethernet cords. Like there's different ways to go about it. We need to learn all that. We needed to fail. Um, and... And how could we hire a production team to do all of this if we didn't know how to speak the language? So um, that was crucial. And we put on dozens of these private beta live streams um, on links on our platform, on Cadenza uh, TV, but only to a few hundred beta users, which were friends and family. And we got feedback from them through surveys that we sent after on how, how can we improve? And, uh, you know, how is the platform user interface and experience, but also from the artist perspective, like, did you like that? How did you feel? Did it suck? How could it be better? What do you wish you would have done? You know, what do you know now that you didn't know prior to going into the live stream? Um, do you think your fans would pay for this? And those were all key, right? Um, the whole point was iterating, changing and improving and updating our products so that we would be prepared for a launch. And the launch came more, uh, that came in 2020 in April. Um, very coincidental time. Uh, Cause that's when COVID hit. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I want to get into the the impacts of COVID on your business, but there's a piece that I wanted to get on uh, get to first, which you mentioned you needed to go through the process of failing. Can you touch on that? You know, those moments of failures, and then maybe how you you were able to draw on your experience in sales. You know, of learning how to deal with the pushback, and really just touch on those experiences early on. Yeah. So those are two, those are, those feel like two separate questions. The first question is fail. There's different types of failure that you're going to experience. It's not all the same. Doesn't all feel the same, uh, regarding, um, like live, the live streaming portion. Oh my gosh. I was our tech director. So I was the person that was really leading the camera switching, uh, monitoring the internet connection and delivering the feed to like, I had no, I had no experience knowing how to uh, use an, uh, you know, a mixer to mix the sound and then, you know, marry that with video. Uh, I had no experience doing that. So um, definitely a couple times it, it, uh, it didn't work out. Um, internet connection dropped out. Um, I didn't know what I was doing with like with the audio or video portions. Um, and you just have to take those failures in stride. The heart goes, the heart gets racing. Um, I think it's really key why a beta is so important because even those failures, we knew that we, the whole point of the beta was to fail. Failing's okay. And it's a requirement for improvement. Um, and so but that was a different type of failure than going in and meeting it, you know, going into a uh, music management company and pitching the concept for what, what cadenza was going to be prior to anything like this existing. And them saying, eh, you guys seem like great dudes, but I don't think this will happen. Right. I, I, I don't think, you know, will fans pay for live streams? Like, nah, I don't think so. Right. Uh, that happened often. And we went and met in person with a lot of different agencies, a lot of different management companies, had some really cool conversations. And, uh, you know, pretty much everyone said, no, this, uh, you know, live, live, like, you, you know, this is an interesting concept. This is not going to work. So, you know, in those, in those moments, you got to, we were we were uh, we were 100% certain that there was going to be a future where fans were going to have the ability to pay for exclusive high quality live streams from artists no doubt there's no doubt in our mind once that seed was planted like you know there there was just no doubt that that was going to exist and um, sometimes the more you get pushback i think the more you can understand as like an, you know, as just starting off as like a founder or an entrepreneur, maybe you're onto something. Be weary of those that tell you your idea is fantastic. I think the more that we were told, no, you guys are crazy, the more we realized, well, like maybe we're onto something bigger than we even thought. Um, you know, and of course, 2020 proved that we were right. Yeah, let's 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 go on to that. Uh, and I agree. If people are calling you crazy, you're probably onto something that's going to disrupt the industry. So, you know, you you make a ton of progress in 2019 building the product, and then in 2020, early 2020, COVID hits. How does that affect your momentum? 
and you know what's the impact on cadenza i feel like with any any big piece of news that comes it's usually it usually has good you know it's good sides and it's bad sides like certain roadblocks as like a startup you can always find a silver lining like a lot of times there's there's something good that comes from it um even if it appears all bad and certain things that appear all good typically have downsides to them which I think is important is you got to, you got to take the good with the bad. So the good in COVID hitting is obvious. Um, artists can't tour anymore. It's an, it's an unfortunate truth, but it's unknown when they'll be able to get back to, you know, what, um, what attributes to 80% of their income throughout a calendar year. They, they rely on touring now that's gone. So how are they going to supplement that? So all those managers that, that we that said no to us, you know, now they're remembering us and they're starting to reach out to us. So that's the good. It was, it, it wasn't as hard to get phone calls and meetings set up for people that had interest. The flip side of that is with a uh, new demand um, comes increased supply. So now you go and you type in music live stream on Google and you're going to, you're going to find 50 to hundred new platforms that all do music live streams. Um, so with that opportunity came greater competition, um, which kind of oversaturated the market and made it a different kind of game than, than we really wanted to be a part of. So I think for us, what was so, um, What's so important in, in starting a business is you have to be open to pivoting fast. And for us, we pivoted beyond music, I think, pretty quickly. So we started to realize that the broader opportunity was not just music. It, it was digital events as a whole. There were a lot of different types of, like while music was sexy, you had all these different types of digital events that were having, or sorry, these physical events that were having to virtualize their experiences. Um, book tours, um, corporate, lots of different types of corporate events, single day or multi-day, uh, conferences, co comedy, uh, all different types of entertainment, right? Broadway shows, um, I mean, even like we can talk about this in a little, but like even like memorials, right? Like funerals, uh, while kind of morbid, like they need a virtual space as well. So the opportunity we realized was 90% of it, 95% of it was outside of music. And we really quickly started to venture and, and do, uh, you know, venture beyond music and get experience elsewhere, which I think informed us on where our product needed to be to fit the broader market versus where it was, which was solely focused on music. Yeah, it's interesting. Speaking of the pivot, so when you had to pivot to broader than just music, is that approaching different people or is that changing the platform and what, what type of uh, solutions it offers? It's a good question. Um, all live stream platforms were pretty similar. It's a video player delivering a live feed that's, uh, that's being received typically through an RTMP. Um, you've got chat. You've got, you know, typically some other form of interaction like Q&A, maybe ways to click emojis um, and then information on the page and certain pages vary with how customizable they can be. The real variable was the production itself. We had a really solid network to help support different types of production. Um, and uh, and really every every uh, every event has a, a certain type of run of show. It's just it's just different based on 
the event itself. So we didn't need to offer a different technology. We just needed to uh, understand who the customer was and what kind of show they were trying to put on. And for each of these projects, are you working closely with the with the customer to bring them a customized solution? Because I, I know I, I've seen some of uh, the productions that um, you've hosted. You know, I've had months of preparation beforehand. What type of role do you guys play in that? So I'm I'm really like the person who would interface with clients, and um, you know, because I was the one that was doing our live streams in 2020, or I guess in 2019. 2018, um, I was the one that was more of like our live stream expert. And by that point I had built out a network of tech directors, camera operators, DPs, producers. Um, so I had a bunch of experts I could source to and from depending on the scope of the project. And, and, and I think it's failures lead up to that moment where you, you develop a certain level of confidence and expertise and, uh, guiding clients. But most of the time when we would talk to a customer, whether it's Broadway trying to put on an event or whether it was Lady Gaga trying, you know, Lady Gaga's team of 50 people trying to release her book, um, you know, do a live stream around her book. Um, you know, it was partially my role to guide them with, the, you know, with, with confidence on like, Hey, we should do this. We shouldn't do this. Um, and, uh, and so I was, pretty involved with a lot of it. Uh, but we got to a place where, you know, we could know about an event and turn it around and execute it within a week or two. Um, but the way that our, our business is trans, uh, I guess, transitioning, um, going into this year, we're really in deep in development, but we're, 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 uh, more SaaS now software as a service. So we are offering the platform, the studio and the tools, for teams to do these things themselves. Um, we don't want to be a bottleneck. It's difficult to scale, uh, you know, to scale this like this if you're fully, if, if um, you know, if you are the bottleneck, right? And if, and if production relies on you and organizing the event relies on you um, and it becomes super manual and more of a service-based industry like, or, or a business, like it, you can't scale. So, we needed to learn how to or figure out how to do what we do best, which is building products um, and just, you know, build what customers were asking for so that they had all the tools to succeed themselves. Um, I think that's where we're, we're currently at right now is really deep in development. Yeah, that makes sense. And that SaaS model makes sense to me earlier in the conversation. You know, when you're thinking about this idea, you're like, how cool would it be if John Mayer could show himself ripping in the studio? Well, now that you have the SaaS product, he can, you know, he goes on Instagram all the time and plays. Now he can just go on Enza and play whenever he wants. Yep. Um, so yeah, that, that's really interesting. And kind of pivoting, it, it seems like your team is massively important, you know, the human capital that you have. And being an early stage startup, how do you go about attracting top talent? A lot of it is looking to your internal network. Um, I got a pretty good piece of advice a while back that... Um, applies to both investors and employees. Ask for guidance. What I mean by that is Jason, our CTO, um, my good buddy, I didn't go to him and say, hey, do you want to be the CTO of our company? I said, hey, I value your expertise in, in product dev. I've got these three candidates who I think could, could build our MVP. Can you interview them? I want your guidance on who you think would be the best, right? I think with investors too, what I've learned is it's more effective to when, when pitching an investor 
approach it more as like, here's our idea. Do you have guidance on, um, you know, on how we should raise money? You know, do you have guidance or do you have anyone you could introduce us to? Don't even ask the person outright, like, hey, do you want to invest? Ask for guidance. And a lot of times it leads to your desired outcome. Um, it alleviates a lot of the pressure um, and in people providing guidance, a lot of times that's when they, they come to the realization themselves that like, hey, wait a minute, like I, I want to be a part of this. Um, and I think that that helps too with, uh, with employees. I think um, talent, sometimes it's pretty serendipitous, but talent sometimes just pop, pops up out of nowhere. Uh, I'll find, I've found that in this journey, a lot of times it's been like, we're looking for someone and, and, and it just, they just kind of like pop up to help. Um, <laughs> it's weird. I know it's kind of a weird answer, but if you're like really like throwing the energy out there of what you're looking for, sometimes it just kind of falls into your lap. It's not always like that, but sometimes that happens. Um, and I think it's, it's important too, to just continue to maintain your network and grow your network. Uh, cause, cause a lot of great people come from that. And then, and then of course, of course, it needs to be a mutually good fit. Culture needs to align. Um, you know, I think that's really key. You don't just bring someone on board that, you know, they need to be all in on your vision, fully sold on it, willing to take the risks that everyone else is taking. Cause it's a startup because they believe so passionately in the vision. Um, but also it needs to be a good culture fit. Uh, that's super, that's the culture fit and the hustle and knowing that someone has the grit and the hustle is, is almost more important than, you know, specified skill sets. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I kind of want to transition to the last couple of questions are more high level, and then we'll dive into something that I call the fast five, but starting with the, the high level questions, what excites you most about Cadenza? So, um, Simon Sinek, start with why probably familiar with it. If, if you're not, it's a good book. It also is, uh, you know, one of the most viewed Ted talks start with why. And in that he talks about how in a business, there's nothing more important than establishing a clearly defined why behind what you do as a business Google or, uh, in his example, he, he, he explains that, um, he explains that apples is think different and they got such customer loyalty because they, everything they did in their marketing and their, you know, internal and external facing like core values they displayed. Uh, it all started with like challenging the status quo. And so they got customers to buy into their product because everything they built fell under that, uh, that why. So for us, what we've, you know, over time um, is really hard to come up with a why, but what ours has become is uh, share what matters. And um what that means really, and I guess anyone can kind of take that for what it is, but we live in a world now where there's so much BS. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of fluff, a lot of fake, um, a lot of superficial. And we are, I, you know, I truly believe this, you know, I think a year, two years, three years from now, we're going to provide resources that allow corporations, businesses, enterprises, and individuals uh, ways for them to share their message, share what matters to them and do so in a beautiful and easy way through video technology. It'll most likely be combinations of live stream and pre-recorded, but those people don't really have the tools and resources to be their own video channel. 
um, those types of expertise have not been democratized yet, right? Like to hire a technical director or an experienced, you know, a producer that has 25 years of experience to bring your message to life in a, in a beautiful way that almost looks like a TV show doesn't exist right now. And so our goal is through building better and better technology into the cloud and into a studio, um, making it so that anyone can share their message and share what matters to them with uh, either um, global audiences that, of people they've never met or like really close-knit communities and fan bases. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. And then you kind of touched on it when you are talking about how you think about Cadenza in the future. You know, what is Cadenza in five years or even 10 years out in the future? Uh, um, 10 years is really tough uh, because of how, how, how much stuff changes in a start, like how, how often you pivot. Um, but what's been, you know, become abundantly clear over the next, over the past few months actually is um, there's a huge need in the market um, to give, uh, give businesses like a scalable way to host professional digital events. Cause right now they're on zoom, um, which is zoom <laughs> and, and they need ways to professionalize it. But, but, uh, but nobody, you know, very rarely do people have experience to do that. So, um, where I see Cadenza in 10 years is the backbone of um, a video solutions for individuals and businesses. Um, we're not going to be a brand that is consumer facing. So it's, you're not going to be like, I at least don't think you, you know, join a cadenza.tv like you do a YouTube. I think as a creator, as someone who's wanting to establish a presence uh, or host a digital event, um, or even corporations having internal sales meetings, right? Those need structure and they need professionalism where right now it's Zoom. The world's flipped on its head, right? Like in-person meetings are, are, no long, are not the norm right now, but what businesses and everyone is realizing even into the future, um, the, the, you know, the medium between the physical and the virtual world, like technology is going to be built that blurs that line more and more. So I think... For us, in five years, we're going to be developing, um, you know, not not just our web app out, but we'll probably even be now venturing into certain types of hardware, like in-room hardware and software that bridge that gap between the virtual and the physical. And something that's fun too is, you know, 5G is here or uh, just around the corner. Wi-Fi hopefully is getting better, which will enable more and more instant, uh, you know, not just instant access to data, but more real-time video protocols so that... Um, you and I having this conversation right now, it'll be 1080p as opposed to whatever it is right now, like 480, right? It's garbage video and audio quality. It's the best that we can do, but it's, it's still limited by our connection and our upload download speeds, which will only increase allowing for higher, higher quality, um, you know, and high fidelity audio and video, um, you know, multiple different assets looped in together. Um, simultaneously without sacrificing quality and without having, you know, with having close to zero latency. And, um, you know, for us, we want to be on the cutting edge of that and developing solutions that take advantage of those trends. Awesome. Yeah, it's super interesting. Okay, so now the last piece uh, is the fast five, which is just a set of standard quick questions that I like to ask every founder, kind of hear their mm -hmm. perspectives. So starting with number one, what's the most important piece of advice that you would give a fellow entrepreneur? Um, 
do not take on your journey alone. What's a tool that every entrepreneur should implement in their company? Slack. What's the most important KPI that you track and why? NPS, which is a net promoter score. Um, it's just, it's customer satisfaction. I think that should all, you should, you know, companies should always be seeking to improve that. It matters more in the long run, in my opinion, than, um, you know, what your, re, what your recurring revenue was that month, right? Mm-hmm. Who's another founder that you view as a personal mentor? A uh, personal mentor, meaning that we have like an established phone call every month. I'm still searching for that. Uh, I'm still I'm still searching for that founder. And then pitch your company in one sentence. A live stream studio in the cloud that makes sharing what matters easy and beautiful. I love it. That's great. So that's everything I have. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome to hear your story as a founder and then as well as Cadenza's story. So again, really thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to today's episode. Hope you enjoyed meeting Joe and hearing about his journey as a founder. If you liked the episode, please make sure to subscribe to stay on top of the latest content. Thanks again, and I look forward to taking you along the next Fireside Chat. Mm-hmm.